The sadness and brokenness of our lives and world is all too real. Sometimes it feels as if every day something new falls apart. What are we supposed to do? God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for his beloved children to bless the world, to be present as he is present, to be faithful as he is faithful to his promises, committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would fill my mouth and our ears. We desperately long to hear you speak, and we need your spirit to help us do that and listen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Unfortunately for sports fans in Michigan, we are all too aware of a phenomenon called tanking. Tanking in uh, the sports context is the idea that you intentionally lose in order at the end of the year you can have a better draft pick. The idea is that if you lose more games, you will position yourself in the offseason to have a better opportunity to pick someone who can help turn things around. Now, normally in sports, we're asked to win the game even when we don't necessarily want to, but tanking is sort of a new idea because it has introduced the intentional art of losing. And tanking is built, intentionally losing, is built on a couple of ideas. One idea is that if we lose enough and position ourselves to get the first draft pick, the person that we pick will be able to turn us around. That we are one superstar away, one superstar pitcher for the Tigers from the divisional series, we are one quarterback away for a playoff win for the first time and I think since the franchise came into existence. We are one person away, one savior away. That's one of the principles that sits behind tanking. This idea that if we lose, we will actually put ourselves in a better place going forward. The second principle, or the second idea that sits behind tanking is that we can, with one move or a few quick moves, change everything around. The idea that if we just make one change, instead of going in this direction and losing, we can go that direction and win. 
one quick fix, a few quick fixes, and all of a sudden everything will turn around. Now, there's an article that came out a few years ago in the Atlantic that has this quote. Nearly 30 years of data tell us a crystal clear story. A truly awful team has never once metamorphosed into a championship squad through the draft. Somebody might say, well, what about LeBron or Michael? First of all, it took them several years and it took them several other players. And yet this phenomenon doesn't just show up in sports. This article actually talks about how it shows up in all kinds of Fortune 500 companies as well. Companies that see their profit stagnate or see themselves sort of on the edge of drooping will say, we've got to ax the CEO, we've got to get a new superstar person in, an outside savior who can turn everything around. This is actually, this practice of getting rid of and doing the one big superstar move has actually quadrupled in the last decade. The idea that we are just one Hail Mary away, one move, one quick fix away from doing the 180. And in some ways, there's something in this that we can relate to. Right? We hear this every four years in the presidential news cycle. If our candidate gets elected, you can imagine that America will no longer be going this way, but this way. We imagine this in our own lives. If we're really honest and look in the mirror. That we imagine that if we just get the right vacation... It'll turn around. Or if we can just have that thing at work iron itself out, then everything else will sort of just take care of itself. Right? It's the idea that one thing from outside will be our Savior, and it'll be a quick turnaround. Now, our texts this morning tell us that those notions are actually right on. The idea that we need someone from outside of ourselves, a king, a superstar, who will come in and completely transform things. But as we've noted, that desire most often gets placed in the wrong spot. And our desire for the quick fix isn't all bad, but God, God's word tells us that life with him is never about the quick fix, but it is about the faithful obedience in the same direction, to quote Eugene Peterson. So if you have your Bible open or you're looking up on the screen, our first text 
positions us in part of the story where Israel has been going through this cycle of judges. Right? We've got these wonderful stories of the left-handed Ehud who goes in to slay King Eglon and that sword slips into his belly all the way up to the gut. Right? There's that wonderful story that some of us loved growing up imagining what that would look like for a sword to go all the way into the belly. There's the story of Gideon, right, where these 300 men are chosen by lapping the water like a dog, grabbing a clay pot, a torch, and they go stand around and hundreds of thousands of soldiers are thrown into upheaval with just 300 people. We see this cycle of God using ordinary people in extraordinary ways, and yet we also see the cycle of God's people saying, we like kind of following you when things are going well, but yeah, we forget. And we really would prefer our own way. And that cycle descends, right? For a while, it seems like it sort of stays at the top and things are good. But as we know, the cycle gradually, because of the laws of entropy, right? A system left to itself will become more chaotic. Gradually, we get to the end of Judges, where we have this incredibly memorable verse. You can see it up on the screen. In those days, Israel had no king. King is same word for judge. And everyone did as they saw fit. So no leader, no person to turn to, and everyone just said, we're going to do our own thing. So that's where Israel finds itself. But this longing for a king doesn't go away. This recognition that to just do our own thing leaves us vulnerable to outside attack. It leads us to economic dysfunction in our own country. It leads us to all kinds of vulnerabilities. And so we see even in the next books of the Bible that the people of Israel are longing for some stability, some solidity. And they ask Samuel to give them a king. And if you tune in at 5 o'clock for another look, we're going to take a longer look at that text, 1 Samuel 8. But they ask for a king. And God gives them one. And God says that Israel has not rejected this system of judges, but God has rejected him as king. They've rejected the outside source of true leadership. Because one of the things that we recognize, and I think even those of us who are in Michigan recognizing the Lions, the Tigers, and the Pistons, and how those teams have been perennial losers, we sort of know that the problem isn't just one pick. Right? We know that tanking doesn't work because there is so much dysfunction underneath. And one outside pick can't fix all of the dysfunction. Firing one person can't fix all of the dysfunction unless the king's name is Jesus. But we'll come back to that. 
So God's people are longing for a king. Samuel gives them a king. God gives them a king. And they have uh, Saul and they have David and then we have Solomon. And what we watch in this is something really remarkable that God takes this human king and he uses this human king to be, uh, to bring peace and prosperity to Israel. And so when we get to the second text, 1 Kings chapter 8, we actually see Israel as God had originally designed when he set them free from Egypt. Israel has peace with its neighbors. The neighboring nations have relationships with Solomon. There is good trade. Things are going well. And people are looking at Israel And they are saying, we want to be like you. We want to have your God. Because your God took you out of nothing and made you something. He took you who had nothing and gave you everything. And we want that too. And that's been God's design, to set up his people to be the kind of example of what life with him looks like. The people of Israel didn't go around and kill each other like all the other nations. There was some kind of harmony. They even mowed the lawn for their neighbors. They went and got groceries when their neighbor got sick. They baked food when somebody was in the hospital. They did the kinds of things that neighbors did and the other countries didn't. And God had set his people up in this text where we get all of Israel gathered around the temple. The temple is being devoted. Israel is in a time of peace and prosperity. And things are looking good. And we can even hear in Solomon's prayer, our second text, what this means. So we'll have our second text. 1 Kings 8. Solomon stands up, and after all of these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. So we have a king who settles himself first and foremost as a worshiper, not someone who says, this crown is mine, rightfully so, I deserve it, you all must follow after me, but a king who is giving the praise and the honor and the glory to God. And he says, in a loud voice, blesses the whole assembly of Israel. Praise be to the Lord who has given us rest. Rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has fallen of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. The promise to settle them in the land. The promise to give them stability. The promise to give them milk and honey. To give them the goodness and the bounty of the land. To give them peace from their neighbors. God promised to do that and he has done that. And so may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him so that we may walk in obedience to him. Keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Notice that phrase. We heard it in, uh, in the book of Exodus. 
As God says to Pharaoh, I am going to show that the world knows who I am. I will use you. And Solomon has that as his prayer, that the nations will know through us. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God to live by his decrees and obey his commands just as at this time. If there was ever a pinnacle of Israel, a snapshot where everything was as it was designed to be, this is it. And yet, as we know, in the history of God's people, it quickly goes south. Solomon doesn't keep his heart fully devoted to God. He allows it to stray with wives and wealth. And the kings that follow, that cycle reemerges all the way down to exile. But there's something here that points us to the truth of our hearts longing for a king. We know that when the true king is on the throne, there is a peace that we cannot explain that fills us. That when the ruler that God sets in place has ownership over everything that is ours, there is a prosperity and a settledness that nothing else can give. And that is because Jesus Christ, unlike a superstar or unlike a human president or unlike a human hero, Jesus does not just come in to try to... But Jesus deals with the dysfunction of all of it. The dysfunction that sin wreaks in our lives on the surface that people see. That Jesus comes to bring healing to the dysfunction of the systems that we are a part of. That Jesus, as the king, comes to bring healing to the dysfunction of the families that we grew up in. The cycles that tempt us to go to the bottom. Jesus, as the king, comes. And the rule and the reign that he gives is not one that takes, not one that rules with an iron fist, but a rule and a reign that comes in the emptying of himself so that you would see his face you would know the extent of his love. And in that, would willingly give our lives to him. Because even a king like David, even a king like Solomon, good kings in moments, demanded to be kings of their own accord. And Jesus says, 
I will be your king if you want me to. And I will bring you the kind of peace and security and hope that no one else and no other thing can give. But I will not compel you, though I could. I will draw you and I will invite you to lay your life down. Some of us this morning maybe need to do that for the very first time. There's part of our life that we have hung on to. And Jesus the King says, willingly turn it over, come what may, and let me rule. For others of us, it takes a hard look in the mirror to say, where have we looked for the kind of superstar? Where have we tanked in hope that someone could come in or something could come in and rescue us? What hope do we really have that isn't the true hope, Jesus? And may we hear the invitation of our manger, Savior, King. Let's pray. Gracious God, forgive us when our hearts are maybe closed off to the true rule and reign that only you can give. The kind of rule and reign that gives us hope. The kind of rule and reign that gives us peace. Instead of the kind of rule and reign that we often find, which is very cyclical, that when we get what we think we want, we are happy for a little while. We're settled for a little while and only find ourselves later wondering again for something new. God, we see in your people and we are invited to remember that it is only in the earthly king who came to be born in a manger that we find true hope, true life, true security. And it's only in that King Jesus that we also can be a blessing. And so God, help us to be more filled with your Spirit, to be more and more willing to turn our lives over to you. And in that way, be ever more filled with your life, light, and love. For the glory of your name, 